Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the publisher on Women's Agenda and I'm with my co-founder, Tyler Lambert. How are you, Tyler? I'm going well, Ange. Thanks. And on the agenda this week, we take a look at uh, climate change and why it is an essential part of the conversation on gender equality. We also look at the nurse who has issued a really powerful piece to people who deny COVID, anti-vaxxers and others. Plus, we share our wins for women and we'll ask if lockdowns are the time to take a holiday. Not sure about that one. Let's discuss it. Thank you for listening. How are you going, Tyler? I'm good. And how are you? I am good. Got to Friday, got to another week of homeschool. And that is quite a feat, to be fair. It, it isn't really because not much has been homeschooled during this time, but you know, we got to Friday. So there you go. Some, so wins for women. Let's start there. Let's start with some really good stuff. What is your win today? My win, well, it's not so much a win for women as it is a win for Britney Spears. So news broke this morning that uh, Britney Spears's dad, Jamie Spears, has officially, um, although reluctantly, decided to step down as her conservator, um, which for anyone who isn't really across the whole Britney, free Britney drama, um, her dad um, has been her conservator for the last 13 years. And it's this bizarre kind of legal arrangement in which he is able to make um, key decisions on her behalf um, across her life, um, whether or not she performs. Um, it even stretches as far as things like he made the decision that she she wouldn't be able to take out her IUD to have another child. Uh, she's not able to get married again. Um, so it, it really has been this, this huge movement and campaign against um, Jamie Spears and trying to free Britney. Um, so the courts have essentially said that um, he'll remain in place until they're able to appoint a new conservator for her. So um, whether or not that actually makes a real difference for her, um, you know, kind of remains to be seen. It could potentially make things worse for her if she's assigned someone who is more abusive than her father. But at least it, it it's a step uh, into something you would hope that pressure has been ramping up around this whole situation. I think the whole thing from the last few months, seeing how this story has shifted, I think it is such a wing, win and not just regarding Britney Spears, but just also regarding how we, we think about these women. And um, I think that that's just such a turn also that, you know, in the past, it's been so easy just to, to, to make fun of women in uh, the, these pop stars because they're so well known and they're famous and what they're going through can become such a joke and such a conversation of, um, you know, just such a, a water cooler conversation or isn't it amusing how this is happening and, and she did this and look at this and, and um, you know, all the celebrity gossip thing that happens around it, not just Britney Spears, it happens to so many other women along the way and at least now, you know, we're actually taking this seriously. We're actually saying this isn't right. This isn't these past few decades of how we looked at some of these women and how we talked about them and how we gossiped about them and how we found that their situations amusing, whatever. It was never right. Um, yeah. So that that turning point has has arrived, thankfully. And for Britney Spears, that um, there can be some form of of freedom from from here on. 
So my week yeah. for women is um, a sport one, so quite different. Uh, so Sinead Diver, aged 44, came 10th in the women's marathon in Tokyo last weekend, the highest that Australia has achieved in that race in I think around 33 years or in many decades. So such an amazing story. I love it. She is a mother of two. She took up marathon running after um, the birth of one of her children, uh, obviously found out that she was particularly good at it at some point, as you do. Um, you know, she was in her 30s by that point. And here she is, aged 44, competing in the Olympics and taking up 10th place. So once yeah, again, so all I know is that there is more hope for me in 2032. I'd love to compete at the Brisbane Olympics. We spoke about this previously. I thought that table tennis might be more my style or even skateboarding, but maybe. Skateboarding, I think you're off the I, I, I feel like the skateboarders are all really young, like they are, you know, 13, 14, 15. Um but another win there was just watching the the, the young uh, the women skateboarding and just to see how much they all supported each other. It just looked like so much fun. So there were some really great yeah. moments out of the Olympics. Here we are a week later. It had made did make lockdown, but a lot more um, interesting at least. But um, Sinead Diver, you are a hero. Thank you. For all right, so now to some of our stories, which sadly are more probably on the flat side than the curvier side. Um, where, where the COVID cases tend to be going at the moment. So, um, yeah, on the flatter side. So first story up, Tyler, I thought that maybe we might start with this piece that you published, which was so powerful. It was um, uh, by Caitlin Langford, who is a frontline nurse, I, I think, based in Brisbane. So maybe take us through a bit about that story and where it came from and what kind of reaction it has had. I mean, it's had a profound um, response and, and Caitlin wrote to us last week and um, and suggested, you know, writing a piece about her experience on the front line and also her experience and, and feeling um, towards people that are COVID deniers, um, people that are, you know, refraining from getting the vaccination, who keep conjuring up false stories and narratives about what the vaccine does. Um, personally, I hope George Christensen uh, managed to take a peek at this piece, although I'm highly doubtful. But um, essentially, you know, Caitlin has, has really, really powerfully, and I, I do encourage anyone to go and have a look at this on our site, but um, gone through what it actually means to be a frontline nurse. Um, and the kind of bullshit that they have to deal with every single day and just the heart-wrenching nature of um, you know what it means to be in such a care profession and um, everything that they will still endure even when people are, um, are you know trying to be COVID deniers at a time when when clearly the health system is so overburdened um, and I just, yeah, look, I think it was just a really, um, it was a really strong reminder that we need to, we all need to do what we can. We all need to get vaccinated. Um, we need to be responsible here about what the messaging that we're sending is. Um, influencers need to be responsible. Politicians need to be responsible. Anyone in the public eye needs to be responsible here because the consequence of not being responsible um, 
really falls on on people like Caitlin um, and they are there to pick up the pieces of whatever crap that you're spinning. Um, so I, I just think that it's it's a really, really powerful, um, really powerful piece. So please go and have a look. Yeah, and, I mean, we've spoken about this previously on the podcast, but what we are seeing unfold in the United States at the moment where they're talking about a pandemic of the unvaccinated or a disease of the unvaccinated. And it is so tragic to see, first of all, the massive case numbers, the fact that there is no issue with vaccine supply. They have a, a really, really good vaccine, uh, vaccines available, that they have everything that they need, but so many people are, are choosing for whatever reason not to get vaccinated. And um, cases are skyrocketing, uh, cases uh, in children as well now. And it's just, it's it's really hard to watch. And you know what, I mean, you mentioned George Christensen and I have to mention Clive Palmer because every newspaper you pick up, Clive Palmer has um, taken out like these strips of advertising all over it, talking about lockdowns and taking issue with, you know, what might potentially happen with vaccine passports. And, and you know, that today's, one of them today was, uh, you know, lockdowns, um, breakdown marriages and all this strange messaging that he's, well, you know, he's pushing across, you know, just throwing money to advertise across all these major newspapers. Um, I guess. How does Clive Palmer still have money? How does he have money? Does he owe everyone a shit ton? Like, what is going on there? (laughs) But the other thing I'd say, the side note to Clive Palmer (laughs) is like having worked in uh, magazines and digital media for my career and kind of had a look a lot about advertising and things like that. It's like, don't put the same type of like ad with the same colors, like constantly in the same place because it becomes a blind spot. So I see that I'm like, all I see is this like blur of yellow black. I'm like, oh, that's a Clive Palmer ad. I'm not going to read it, obviously. So, and it's the same style as he was doing during the election. And anyway, that was a total side point. But Clive Palmer is not <laughs> revealing if he has been vaccinated or not, which I dare suggest probably indicates that he has been vaccinated. And there he is out there doing all this stuff and, you know, trying to push the anti vax movement, which again, I just find so. Oh. horrific these major commentators and mouthpieces who, who go trying to drum this up somewhere and then have been vaccinated themselves i just think that is so can disgusting we just be clear that all of these men are intent on spreading crap throughout our parliament and and throughout the public um and their messaging is just so horrifically bad and the fact that they will not be condemned like none of their views are being condemned by the government um, you know, that uh, along this kind of crap line about free speech and, you know, the ability to say whatever you want and that's the beauty of Australia. What they're doing is so intensely damaging right now. They have huge platforms. They have significant influence and they are using everything that they have to just breed fear and, you know, and, and disharmony and be divisive. Um, and it, I think it's just it's atrocious that no one's saying anything about it. I might just, as we've been talking, I just thought I'd just have another little look at what Clive Palmer's up to. And um, I note that in the past like hour or so, a number of crossbenchers, Rebecca Sharkey, Helen Haynes, Ali Stegall, Andrew Wilkie and Adam Vant have actually written to nine newspapers and News Corp um, urging them to actually stop publishing Clive Palmer's ads. That could be a good idea. 
um, I can say that we will not publish any Clive Palmer <laughs> ads on Women's Agenda. So Clive Palmer, don't even I mean, bother has, coming to us with your many. He many has been really. He's been knocking at our door for for years and years, and we just say, Clive, just back <laughs> off, buddy. All right. I mean, I, I'm actually sure we could go and probably get some advertising, but you know, we won't. <laughs> hey. Okay. Um, anyway, another story that has. Uh, made us feel a little bit uh, flat this week. And actually, this is a story that um, carries a certain level of flatness for me all the time. But um, it is that this week we did get the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which really revealed just how uh, dangerous the future is ahead. Um, noting that, you know, climate change is here, parts of it is irreversible, uh, but we do still have an opportunity to slow down the full extent of the warning of the of the warming, but we absolutely need to act now on climate change and, you know, indicating that um, some of the thresholds are actually coming up upon us uh, much faster than we may have previously thought. So we really are running out of time to address this. So as you can imagine, there was not much from this report uh, from the Morrison government. I think there was like a 30 minute press conference where uh, he kind of <laughs> talked the, the usual gaslighting that uh, Scott Morrison does to Australians on climate change, trying to claim that they are making achievements on certain areas when they are actually not. So a lot of word trickery, the usual stuff. Um, and then the indication that there is going to be a, a, a plan apparently. And, uh, and then we had Barnaby Joyce, Deputy Prime Minister, saying that, well, somebody has to come up with a plan, uh, which was quite amusing because they are the government. Anyway, so... <laughs> Please, please, for the love of God, don't let Barnaby come up with the plan. That's all I ask. <laughs> you know, he's there to take that plan and just to put a big red texter through it saying, you know, no, we can't do this. Anyway, oh, one part of this that I would like to uh, note, which I have noted before, is that, you know, we obviously talk about women's empowerment. We talk about gender equality. We talk about women in leadership, women's economic security, women's health and safety, all those things. That is what we're all about on women's agenda. But I don't think that you can really have any of those conversations without thinking about climate change and what these changes and global warming and what uh, more extreme weather events will actually mean uh, for any progress actually made on gender equality. It is actually pretty dire when you think about some of these situations and what happens in emergencies, what happens to the uh, gender gains that have been made, um, what happens to the rates of child marriage to um, falls in girls getting educated um, to gender-based violence and other things in emergency situations or where food scarcity occurs or where people are competing for more resources. So we need to really be considering that. And I think that in every conversation that we have around any kind of aspect of empowering more women and girls globally and here in Australia, we really need to consider um, the impact of climate change, the impacts that have already occurred, and there's good research out there highlighting, um, you know, what has actually happened, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, where they can point to um, higher incidences of, of um, child marriage due to food scarcity as a result of, um, of major drought. Um, there are really powerful examples out there where this has already had a major impact. 
The other part of it is around mental health. And we published around this on, on Women's Agenda too from a recent survey, which found um, a survey of more than 5,000 Australians that found climate is actually being highlighted as a bigger concern right now than, than COVID. I think the survey was before the current lockdowns. Um, and the researchers on this study point to the idea of, you know, we can expect more eco-anxiety, climate disaster-related post-traumatic stress disorder, future-oriented despair, um, a lot of concerns related to climate change. And they also found that people experiencing or having those concerns and that anxiety were more likely to be female. So that's another thing to consider. Yes. Not to end on a complete downer, I wrote about this this week I wanted to say that there are solutions there are things that can be done um obviously outside you know the big solutions about you know, ending the use of fossil fuels and that kind of thing but women I to find like a glass half full um aspect to this first of all the IPCC report of the hundreds of scientists involved I read this week that 70 percent of them are male so we need to get more women involved in, in, in this research and these reports and, and more women involved in kind of sharing the com community impact and, and what's occurring. Um, but also I, I noted that, you know, we also have an opportunity as we transition to a greener economy and, and more um, the future of work with all these greener jobs um, in renewable energy, in, in research and all the pieces and things that we need to do to, to create this change that... Um, this could be an opportunity to really level the playing field if we get it right, if we start to include women and girls in, in all aspects of the decisions and, and everything that needs to be done from here on. That's it, Tala Lambert, was my rant again. I think it was a very worthy rant and I hope that it has more impact um, than what the government is willing to do right now um, hey they can still change oh, their minds if glasgow's in a few months so you know that plan like here's a hoping you would kind of need a big plan for this stuff and it's kind of getting late in the piece but yeah okay so yeah. quick one to finish off because i know that we are fast running out of time but um this is a holiday during a pandemic so we are discussing this from a piece that um we've both kind of come across I wanted to ask the question, is, um, is lockdown the time to take a vacation? A holiday? So you call it a vacation, a holiday, a break from work. I don't know. What, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. You, you just suddenly went American there for a second. But <laughs> um, look, it comes off the back of uh, research from Roy Morgan. Mm -hmm. um, which was released in May, and it found that Australian workers are owed 175 million days of annual leave, and that's an increase of more than 23 million days from early 2020. And so there has been this piece in The Guardian published this week, and I'll actually be talking about it on the ABC tomorrow morning as well. Um, but there's this kind of notion that maybe we should be kind of taking leave um, to and having a, a, a staycation, if you will, um, inside the pandemic. I don't know how I feel about this. I like to be honest, the idea of having a holiday inside my lounge room um, <laughs> does not sound very appealing. Um, and I don't think any number of cocktails or you know, faux sun lounges or whatever else I could put out 
um, would make it any better. I do think that it is important that people take a break. Um, I think that with people working from home, it's not actually easier. Um, Much of the time people are are spending more hours of the day working. They're trying to fill gaps. Um, You know, they're working around the clock. They're not taking lunch breaks like they would. They're not, you know, obviously um, communicating with colleagues like they used to. So it's a very different thing that we're navigating. And I I think that taking time out to have a breather from formal work is is important. Um, So I applaud companies like NAB who have actually um, allocated 10 days paid pandemic leave for their employees. I think it's a good sign. But I just don't think that we should be kind of like, reframing this as you know a fun holiday it's, it seems like Morrison's spin to me um that, that don't worry about the uh, shysty vaccine role <laughs> just have a holiday from your lounge room and you'll be fine I had a uh, holiday on Monday um I went and got my vaccination and I stood in the queue for a few hours and it was the best few hours <laughs> the last few weeks that's the saddest thing you know what I I went (laughs) I went into like the little waiting room and I knew I was going to be waiting there for like an hour and I pulled out my phone and my headphones and I watched Netflix and normally I would sit there and do work because you know it's during the day and I should be doing that but I'm like no and it was so good (laughs) and so that was that but um yeah, no, I agree. I also like acknowledge, you know, you've got to remember that people have different living situations, different responsibilities, live in different parts of these cities as well, where they might have access to things that might feel a little bit more holiday-ish at the time. I know that the piece that you sent to me has a woman walking along Bondi Beach, which that's yeah, nice, you know, so that's that's quite different yeah. that not everyone obviously has that opportunity. So I think that um, great for employers to make it known that staff can take leave during this period. And I think that's great from what NAB has done. I didn't know that, but to offer that 10 days pandemic leave, go NAB, like let's get all the banks and all big employers offering that kind of thing. But um, I, I I don't think that, it, I think employers should also acknowledge that some people uh, really want to maybe work hard during this period, that some you know, people, if particularly if um, you, know, you might not have other caring responsibilities, you don't have this opportunity to socialise. So maybe you want to get, this work happening now and work done with the idea that later on in the year you might be able to take more of a breather, um, you know, hopefully by summertime, January, either to take the time off and, and really have relaxed then. So, yeah, it's, it's an individual thing, but I... I think that's true, but I think we do need to be careful um, of overworking during this period. Like, I think that a lot of Australians are kind of falling into that. And, um, you know, obviously there are different... Um, restrictions and and issues at play here as well you know people have got kids at home and um, they're having to to engage in in um, more care responsibilities as well as formal work and I I do think there's a risk of people really running into burnout but um, yeah I think we need to be a little bit more acknowledging of what people's situations are and and the fact that for a lot of people the pandemic has really hit them um, financially very hard as well. So the idea of taking mm-hmm. time out of the workforce um, during this time is is really not, it, it's not like a, a relieving option. It's not something that brings them any kind of hope or light. It's, that's a, that's an anxiety feeling, um, you know, idea. So 
yeah, I think we need to be a bit careful about how we frame these things, but certainly I love the fact that employers are getting on board to support their employees um, and to listen and, and to make sure that, you know, they're doing the right thing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't want a couch holiday. I want a proper bloody holiday. I want to go to Bali. <laughs> I, I, I want to go to the Great Barrier Reef. Oh yeah was meant to be there in July and so was my children and we've been watching a lot of documentaries about the Great Barrier Reef and it's and they keep asking <laughs> when are we going to go it just feels like never so <laughs> one day children and hopefully while it is still there on that note Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda <laughs> podcast. Thank you, Tyler. That very positive note leading into the weekend. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can find our stories and everything that we've discussed in some form on our website, where you can also subscribe to the Women's Agenda newsletter. If you are looking for something more to listen to, you can also go and check out all four seasons of the Leadership Lessons with the 10th episode that has just been published today. So that means that, you know, there are 40 uh, great conversations with different female leaders on how to lead for the future ahead. So something to binge on if you are holidaying or not holidaying during this period. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. Thank you, Tala. Thanks, Ange.